Well, good morning. My name is Abe. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm one of the elders and teachers here at Soma Tacoma. And we have the amazing privilege of being a church family together here in this city, in this region, and walking out what it means to be the people of God. We believe we're a family of servant missionaries sent on the exciting mission of following Jesus and making disciples. Well, I want you to think a minute for, think about, uh, for a minute, think about some of your favorite stories. Think for a minute about some of your favorite stories. Some of mine that come to mind right away when someone asks me what some of my favorite stories are, I would have to say Star Wars. I'd have to say Harry Potter. I'd have to say The Matrix. I would have to say The Chronicles of Narnia. And there are more, but those are near the top of the list. And if you think about what all those stories have in common, and I'm certain if we heard everyone's favorite story, we would find that there's, there's probably a common thread with all of these stories. There are many common threads, but the one that we want to zero in on this morning is the reality that in those stories, there's a clear differentiation between good and evil. And there's a clear battle going on in these stories. And there's a clear, like, good, there's clear good guys, and there's usually at least one clear bad guy, one definitive enemy. And what's interesting is often at the beginning of these stories, the nature of the, the battle is, is a little bit mysterious or unknown or under the surface for, for kind of the main characters. Luke Skywalker, he knew about the rebellion, but he had no idea what he was stepping into when he bought R2-D2 and C-3PO from the Jawas in the first Star Wars. I mean, he just had no idea. And then he hears R2-D2 say, well, Princess Leia say, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're our only hope. And he's thrust into the middle of this cosmic battle. Neo has lived his monotonous and discontented life as Thomas Anderson until he takes the red pill and realizes that he is a central character in an all-out war against the Matrix and its agents. And for the first 11 years of his life, Harry Potter has no idea that he actually lives in the midst of a magical world or that he is a wizard. But he soon learns that a sinister wizard named Voldemort tried to kill him when he was a baby and that Voldemort is determined to finish the job. And as the story unfolds, it's interesting, it becomes clear to Harry that not only he, but the entire world, magical and non-magical, is being threatened by Voldemort. And in the middle of the story, he really says, hey, this is a real threat. And most people don't listen. They shrug him off. There's only a very small band of friends and mentors who believe him when he says, we are at war and someone is trying to destroy us. Well, that's exactly the reality in which we find ourselves today. We are at war and someone is trying to destroy us. I want to talk about four points this morning. I'm going to give them all to you right now because I want to actually emphasize the last three. I don't want to get lost in the first one. 
Here's the four points. Number one, Satan is real and we are at war. It's clear in Scripture. We'll talk about that in a minute. Satan is real and we are at war. Number two, Jesus came to destroy the devil and his works. We won't have to wait very long to get to the good news. But we need to understand the nature of the battle first. Third, Jesus' spirit now lives in us. And then finally, we have power over the enemy. So the big idea for this morning is is we are at war and someone is trying to destroy us, but our victory is sure. Our victory is sure. So first let's talk about Satan is real and we are at war. We're going to read a couple passages together. They're they're going to be up on the screen here. This is from Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18 and 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 through 5. By the way, I'm going to reference a ton of Scripture this morning. If you have a pen, if you have a piece of paper, if you have something to write on, and you're at all interested in learning more about this this topic of spiritual warfare, you might want to jot some stuff down. Okay? So let's look at Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18, and 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. So I've, I've bolded the parts... Of these passages, excuse me that it's small. I wanted it all up there at the same time. I I bolded the parts in these passages that emphasize the reality that Satan is real and we are at war. Okay? Now we're going to come back to these passages later to talk about the power that we have over the enemy. Okay? That's the part where, that's where we're going to land, just to be clear. Jesus has all authority, all power. We're found in Jesus. We have power and authority. It's amazing. We're going to land in a great place. But we've got to start with this reality that Satan is real and we are at war. So finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's a schemer. He's crafty. He's, ma- he's cooking up a plan. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's the same Greek word that was used to describe actual wrestling matches where the loser would get their eyes gouged out. This is the real deal. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's a lot of bad guys out there. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. There are flaming darts flying around and some of them are aimed at you and me. That's real. That's what the Bible says. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, for though we walk in the flesh, that is, we walk around in the physical, we are not waging war according to the flesh. There it is. We're at war. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. 
We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So you hear the terminology in these passages. There's talk of strongholds, which is like a castle that is built, a fortification that is built for the sake of, of defense or, or taking new ground. We hear of this spiritual battle. We're waging war. There's captives. We're destroying things. And there's a schemer who's plotting against us. Do you know that Satan or the devil is mentioned 19 out of 27 New Testament books? Every single New Testament author mentions either Satan or the devil. Now, not in every single book. Paul mentions him in 8 out of 13 books, for example. Peter mentions him in 1 Peter, but not 2 Peter. But every author in the New Testament, including Jude, including the author to the Hebrews, including James, they all mention either Satan or the devil. This stuff is real. We are at war, and someone is trying to destroy us. I want to talk quickly through Satan's tactics so we can understand some of how he comes at us. In general, what we learn from these passages is that the battle is invisible. He comes at you invisibly, okay? I think demons can manifest themselves physically, but I think the vast majority of the time, at least in the United States of America, the battle we're dealing with is against an invisible foe. It's like we're fighting blindfolded. He's crafty, he's covert, he's cunning. We talked about the schemes of the devil. And then finally, notice that the battlefield, the place where the battle actually is waged, is mainly in the mind. And then it moves out from the mind to the heart. See, the heart is the totality of who we are. It includes mind, emotions, and will. So if you think about like concentric circles, like there's a small circle called mind and then a bigger circle called heart that actually includes your mind. But it starts in the mind. We're destroying arguments and opinions and we're taking our thoughts captive. This is the battlefield right here. So now specifically, what does Satan use? And here's where I'm going to reference a bunch of scripture. None of these passages are going to come up, but you can jot them down and find them. Number one, deception. Revelation 12.9 calls him a deceiver. Number two, lies. Jesus in John 8.44 says he's the father of all lies. Satan is incapable of telling the pure truth. Three, he's a murderer. John 8, 44, Jesus calls him a murderer. Next, rebellion slash sin slash lawlessness. 1 John 3, 8 says the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Tim Chester says behind every sin is a lie about God. And Romans 1.25 says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. There you can actually see the movement outward from, from mind to heart. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Where does that happen? In the mind. And worshipped. Where does worship happen? In the heart. Okay? So Satan is attacking us with, with lies, with deception, with, with sin that is mainly around what do we believe about tr- the truth about who God is? Let's continue. The next one, disguise. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says he disguises himself as an angel of light. 
accusation. Revelation 12, 10 through 12 says he is the accuser of the brethren who stands constantly before God's throne making accusation of the saints. Have you ever felt accused in just even in your mind, not from another person? The next one, division. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. Paul talks about the importance of forgiveness in the church. And then he says, we're not ignorant of the devil's schemes. In Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul says, don't let the devil get a foothold. There's a whole bunch of sins that are mentioned, all of them which tear the church apart. And in James chapter 3, James mentions selfish ambition and bitter jealousy and says that it's demonic. Satan wants to tear the church apart. He wants to divide. And by the way, I've been praying this for a few weeks. You heard me pray it last week. Ephesians 4, 3. Let's be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's not be ignorant of the devil's schemes right now in the church of Jesus Christ around what's going on in our country. Let's not be ignorant of the devil's schemes, okay? The division he's trying to cause is by far the most important issue we're facing right now as the church. Okay? Let's not be ignorant of the devil's schemes. Ephesians 4.3, be eager to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Okay? So let that govern your thoughts and your actions and your heart these days. Next, doubt God's word about our identity In Genesis 3, Satan said to Eve, if you eat of it, you'll be more like God. He said to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, if you are the son of God, then you can do this. See, he's casting doubt on our identity. And then finally, he distorts the truth of God's word. This is where he's really sneaky. Because he's the father of all lies, but he will take truth and twist it. He will take truth and twist it. That's what he did in the garden. Did God really say that you would die? And to Jesus, he says, hey, the Bible actually says you can hurl yourself down and angels will catch you. See, he twists the truth of God's word. So I would like to ask us and just get a little bit of input from you as as a family this morning. In your experience, what are some of the lies that Satan tells? What are some of the lies that Satan tells? You hear He's mainly about lies and deception and trickery and distortion and disguise. What are the lies that Satan tells? What are some of the lies? Yeah, Mark. Okay, good. If you had this, you would be happy. Roseanne. Okay, you're by yourself. You're alone. No one cares. What are some of the lies Satan tells? Yeah, Raylene. Okay. Yeah, you're not worth it. You're not worth it. What else? Chris. Okay, okay. Instead of waiting and trusting... Waiting on the Lord, we feel, we hear the lie. You've got you to do this now. You've got to move now. Charles, ah, it's too late. Okay, it's too late. Matt? Okay. If people really knew you, they'd reject you. How about it's never going to change? It's never going to change. Kobe? Okay. Yeah, just give up. Just give up. Accept unhealth. My heart goes to or it's tempted to go to, and discard the person, right? Just, just be done. It's just easier to not have to deal with that. Yeah, have you ever been just bombarded with thoughts that are untrue or harmful or destructive or hateful or divisive? Has, has your mind ever just been bombarded with those thoughts? If you're not, I would love to talk to you, first of all. But, but I just have to ask, like, is, 
for those of us who have the Spirit of God in us, who've placed our faith in Jesus, and we still experience that, I have to ask us, where do you think that's coming from? I mean, honestly, you have a new heart. The Spirit of God dwells in you, okay? I mean, I guess it could be our flesh, but hate and division and lies and accusation, where does that come from? It comes from Satan, when you are getting bombarded with untruth, just I, I, I hope that the veil can just be pulled back a little bit today. We've got to wake up and realize what is happening. See the situation for what it actually is. You have an enemy who's trying to kill you. That's what's happening. You know, we have this phrase, train of thought, right? Like, oh, I lost my train of thought. Train of thought is a beautiful gift from God. It's hard to make sense of things without a train of thought. However, in my experience, my train of thought often gets hijacked by a conductor who wants to take the train way off the rails and kill and destroy everybody and everything. This year, that is the number one thing that the, that the Holy Spirit has been saying. You cannot let that happen. When my mind starts to go way off this way with destruction, death, hate, condemnation, lies, bitterness. I mean, whatever is not of God. And I start rolling. I mean, that train just starts rolling. And it's like, it's sometimes it's almost out of control going this way. And the Holy Spirit is saying, Abe, you, you got to do what the scriptures say, which is take your thoughts captive. You, 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 you got to just draw a line and say, no way. So Satan fills our minds with lies so he can get to our hearts because Romans 10 says it's with the heart that man believes. And I think this is the progression here with the stronghold. Satan tells us a lie. And by the way, lies are often sown in the, in the soil of our wounded hearts. Okay, so lies often come at us when we're wounded. That's, that was true when you were a little kid and it's true now. Think about the times when your mind mostly gets flooded with lies, right? It's right after something painful, relationally. Very often, that's when I get attacked. Because see, Satan wants to come with lies. And the, the, the real question is, are you going to believe them? I know that sounds simple, but that is really the issue. Because if you believe the lie, now we're in Romans one we We've exchanged the truth for a lie, and we're worshiping something other than God. And my hunch on this stronghold thing is, believing, like hearing a lie and then believing it is like a brick in the wall. So you hear a lie, believe it, there's another brick in the wall. And if you do that a million times over 20 years, guess what you did? You just built a fortress around yourself. And the good news is the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the what? Tearing down the strongholds. So we are at war and someone's trying to destroy us. But, number two, Jesus came to destroy the devil and his works. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus became God incarnate. He himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things that through death, listen to this, through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So, to put it in a short phrase, Hebrews 2, 14, 15 teaches that through death, Jesus destroyed the devil. Through death, Jesus destroyed the devil. 
Now he's a defeated foe. He's he's like he's like a boxer that just just received a, the knockout blow, but but he's like falling back, flailing and kicking as he falls back on the mat, trying to take out as many people as he can on his way to destruction. Right. So he's a defeated foe, but he's trying to take a bunch of people with him on the way down. And then First John three eight, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the, this is like habitual, unrepentant sin that John's talking about, if you read the context. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. We don't celebrate that at Christmas, do we? I don't think there's any Christmas carols about the devil's work getting destroyed. Maybe there are. Someone could check that out for me, and we'll be sure to sing them starting in a couple weeks. So how did Jesus destroy the devil? Number one, through his life. How did Jesus destroy the devil through his life? The Bible says through his death. I think he destroyed him through his life too. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth. What does Satan traffic in? Falsehood. And, and by the way, the falsehood that Satan traffics in is mainly about two things. It's mainly about the character and nature of God and your identity. That's mainly what he traffics in. He wants to accuse God. God doesn't care. God's not there. God doesn't love you. God can't do it, right? And he wants to accuse you of your identity. You're, you're no good. Nobody cares. You're not worth it. You're alone. You messed up. You're beyond hope. That's what he traffics in. So Jesus comes and Jesus says, I am the truth. What does Jesus embody? The truth about what? Who God is and what we're worth. So if you're ever hearing lies and you're like, man, I, I can't make sense of this. Look, literally look at the life of Jesus because he will demonstrate to you what the truth is about who he is, God, who God is. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father and he will demonstrate to you the truth about who you are. But secondly, Jesus destroyed the devil through death. How? This is so good. This is so good. There's something transactional that happens at the cross. The story says we're born into sin. We're born sinners. We've all sinned, and the wages of sin is death. So, so Satan has a rightful claim on your life because of your sin. Okay? Satan has a rightful claim on your life because of your sin. Check out Colossians 1 which says we were a part of the domain of darkness. And 2 Timothy 2.26 says that we were held captive by Satan to do his will. It is not a stretch to say, apart from Jesus, and some of you need to hear this. This, is, this was probably the number one thing I was a little concerned to say this week. Apart from Jesus, it's not a stretch to say you belong to Satan. That is not a stretch. That's what the Bible teaches that's sobering for me to say that, but it's true. It's what the Bible teaches. But here's the crazy news, right? Jesus spilled his own blood. He died, and the Bible says that we were purchased. Where were you purchased from? The slave market. Who runs the slave market? Satan. You're held captive by him to do his will. Jesus walks into the slave market, lays down the redemption price of his precious blood and says, I'll take that one, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. They're going home with me to my dad and they're going to be part of his family. 
So when Jesus spills his blood for you, Satan has no more claim on your life. That is how he destroys the devil through his death. There's a beautiful picture of this in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. C.S. Lewis' first uh, installment in Chronicles of Narnia. Edmund is a traitor, the white witch who's running the show. She says to Aslan, she says, You know that every traitor belongs to me as my lawful prey, and that for every treachery I have a right to kill. Lewis captures the reality of Satan and his power and his dominion so powerfully. And, And then she goes on. And so that human creature is mine. His life is forfeit to me. His blood is my property. And what does Aslan do? He cuts a deal. They go into the tent. They have a little secret meeting. They come out, and the white witch is stoked because she thinks that she's won. She thinks Aslan has made the worst deal of his life because he says, I'll give my life. I'll spill my blood so his blood won't be spilled, and you, your claim on his life will be broken. And she thinks that's going to be the end of the story. But what she doesn't know is there's a deeper magic that says any innocent one who sheds his blood for the life of another will be resurrected. And so Jesus defeats the devil through his resurrection too. We're at war, and someone's trying to destroy us, but our victory is sure. Can I get more than one amen on that one, please? Satan doesn't have a claim on your life anymore, guys. I mean, really, that is good news. You were the property of Satan, now you're the property of God. And when the lie comes and says you're not worth it, the Bible says, what were you redeemed with the precious, priceless blood of Jesus Christ? And now Jesus' Spirit lives in us. Taught on the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, if you want to hear more specifics about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, listen to that talk. But Acts 1.8, familiar verse to us, says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. In John 16, Jesus says he's going to send the Spirit. Romans 8, the Spirit's called the Spirit of Christ. And it's the Spirit's job to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment and guide us into all truth. So we have this Holy Spirit in us. He's the Spirit of Jesus and we have power. And that is why Paul can say, In Ephesians 6, 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Some fun stuff about this verse. Be strong. It's the same root word as Acts 1, 8. So Acts 1, 8 says you're going to have power when you receive the Holy Spirit. And now Ephesians 6 says, hey, you know that power you got from the Holy Spirit? It's time to walk in it. It's time to walk in it. However, in Greek, it's the passive voice, which means you're the recipient of the strength. So literally, it's like, be strengthened by the power of God. See, when I read, be strong in the Lord, what do I feel like I have to do? Flex my muscles, pull up my bootstraps, do more, try harder, be strong in the Lord, suck it up, right? That's not what it's saying. It's saying, receive, passively receive the power of God. And where is the power? It's in the Lord. Our strength, our power for defeating Satan and his enemies in this life only comes through our union with Jesus. Be strong, receive the power that comes from your union with Jesus. That's what the verse means. We're united 
with Jesus Christ. And so, what do we do? How do we appropriate this power? We have power over the enemy. Let's look again at Ephesians 6 and 2 Corinthians 10. I'm just going to point out the bolded sections. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So when you're feeling attacked, don't feel like, oh, I got I to gotta suck it up. I got to buck up. I got to figure this out. Cry out to Jesus for help and receive his power. You're united with him. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. By the way, the word stand against is the same word that we find in 1 Peter 5, resist the devil, and James 4, 8, resist the devil. It's the same word, and it literally means don't retreat. Don't back down. So it's like, it's a military term. It's like, hold your position. Don't give up the space. So when you're being attacked in the power of the Holy Spirit, literally like dig in and say, I'm not backing down. This is the space that Jesus died to give me and I'm not going to back down. And what does James say when you resist the devil, when you hunker in and you say, no, I'm holding my ground. What does James say? He'll flee. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That's what James says. Same word here in Ephesians. Take up then the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, same word again, in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore. You get it? (laughs) Stand against, withstand, stand firm, stand therefore. Sometimes when you're being attacked, honestly, it helps to physically just stand up. And just be like, like, you know, like uh, Martin Luther. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. This is my space that God gave me. Stand therefore, put on the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, boots of the gospel, shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. What are the darts that Satan throws at us? Lies. Okay? Basically says, don't believe what's true. Don't believe what's true. Don't believe what's true. So do you hear how the shield of faith would extinguish those? Because the shield of faith says, I know it's true. I believe what's true about God. So the dart that says, this is not true, it just, it just extinguishes and falls by raising the shield of faith and saying, this is what's true about God. This is what's true about me. The helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, which Jesus wielded when he was tempted in the wilderness, right? Satan said, hey, if you're the son of God, why don't you do this? And what did he say? It is written. He wielded the sword of the spirit against Satan in his attack. And then 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. See, there it is again. What are the lies about? They're about God's character. They're about God's character. And we have weapons to actually destroy those accusations against God, the accusations against us, the arguments against God. You have those arguments in your mind. Well, you should do this. It's the right thing. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, here's why you should do it. Well, no, it's like the, the, the old picture of like the angel and the demon on your shoulder is really not that far off. But the Bible says we have power to destroy those arguments and take every thought captive to, ESV says, to obey Christ. I memorized New American Standard years ago, to the obedience of Christ. I want to talk about that for a second, 
and then talk about our weapons, and then we're going to do some prayer together. So first of all, what does it mean to take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ? Well, first of all, in order to understand how to take them captive, I think we have to understand what does it mean for our thoughts to obey Christ? What kind of thoughts would be in obedience to Christ? True thoughts. Thoughts that are in line with who God is. Thoughts that are in line with who Jesus is because he's the truth. In John 4, Jesus said God is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Right? So thoughts, our thoughts have to be in obedience to Christ. So our thoughts have to worship Christ. Our thoughts have to what? Submit to Christ. Our thoughts have to be under Christ. Our thoughts have to be controlled by Christ. I mean, just keep thinking through that. Like, what does it actually mean for our thoughts to, to be taken captive? So that's what it looks like. Okay, so now I can understand what it means to take them captive. Because any thought that is not submitted to Christ, or in obedience to Christ, under Christ, worshiping Christ, any thought, you're literally like grabbing it. Well, not literally. Metaphorically, you're grabbing it. You're grabbing that thought and you're saying, no, submit to Christ. Be under Christ. That, by the way, practically speaking, if you want to stick something in your pocket, because I think there's a couple things that are going to happen today. One, some of you, your paradigm is just going to begin to shift. You're like, wow, this is crazy, this whole warfare thing. And it's invisible. Holy Spirit, help me see it. Some of you are there. Some of you are, are maybe looking for something practical to stick in your pocket because tomorrow's Monday and you've got to go back to work and kids and the whole rigmarole, right? And this, it's easy to be in here and be like, Jesus is awesome. But then to like just dive back into the world, it's like, holy cow, how do we make sense of this? So seriously, put this in your pocket. Take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. You have to just take a second to step back and like look at your thoughts and go, what is happening right now? And you've you got to do that with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then some of you, I believe God wants to deliver this morning. We'll get to that in one minute. So what are the weapons of our warfare? I only want to talk about two. One is the word of God, because we have the sword of the spirit, and we saw Jesus wield the word of God in the wilderness when he was tempted against the devil. And the number two is prayer, which I think is the medium through which we take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. And it is also the way that we appropriate the power that we have in Jesus. Finally, I want to leave you with one verse, and then we're going to go into some prayer. 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Anyone who is in Jesus Christ this morning, you have no reason to be afraid of Satan and his demons. You have no reason to be afraid. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus was not afraid of Satan. He was not afraid of his demons. And Jesus Christ lives in you. Do not be afraid. He will guard you. He will protect you. Now, we're going to do something different for prayer this morning. Rather than offering prayer or having people raise their hand if they want prayer, we are all going to stand up. You do not have to participate in this beyond standing. If you're not comfortable doing it, that's cool. Seriously, totally fine. However, those of you who are led by the Spirit to participate, 
we're actually going to all together pray out loud. And we're going to stand up. And we're going we're gonna to walk in the power that Jesus has given us. Okay? I'm going to give you a minute to prayerfully think about a couple questions. A minute hardly seems fair because they're giant questions. But I want to give you a second anyway. Number one, Holy Spirit, what is one potential stronghold in my life? In the last four months, by God's grace, the Holy Spirit has torn down strongholds in my life around insecurity, around rejection, around criticism, around despondency, around approval of other people, around lust, and there's two others that I can't remember. That's been the last like four or five months. So there's a lot of strongholds in my heart and life that needed, that needed to be torn down, and there's probably still more, okay? So we're just asking for one right now. We're asking for one. What is one potential stronghold in my life? And number two, Spirit, what are the lies I've been believing that have helped build this stronghold? So take a minute to pray through that. Listen to the Holy Spirit, and then we'll come back together. We'll stand up, and we're going to read through a prayer that's going to be on the screen. Holy Spirit, please speak to us. And now, Holy Spirit, keep... Keep guiding us here. Keep guiding us together. So there's going to be one, there's only one word in this whole thing that's not scripted. There's a blank. It's about five paragraphs in where we'll say, in the name of Jesus, I tear down the stronghold of blank in my life. And that's going to be a space for you to say it. You say, I encourage you to say it out loud. Um, if you don't want to say it out loud, that's fine too. But that's the only word that's not going to be scripted. And I, I really prayed through this. I put some scripture references in here f- for some of it. There's more I could have put in. But I want you to, to know this. Made it, I made a real effort to really root this in the truth of God's word. So we're not just praying something formulaic here. Okay, so let's all stand up together. We have, by God's grace, those of us who are united with Jesus and have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We have real power and authority right now because... Jesus is here. He's in us. The Bible says he's seated above all rulers and authorities, and we're seated with him. So let's, let's read this together. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your power. Holy Spirit, continue to stir this up in us. Bring deliverance from Satan and his demonic foes so that our lives would more accurately reflect the person of Jesus Christ And if there's anyone here who needs to place faith and trust in Jesus right now, would you lead them to repentance and faith? Transfer them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light through faith in Jesus. His blood was shed so ours didn't have to be. Please help us. Help us to stand firm. In the name of Jesus, amen.